Radio. This is Catholics Read on cradio.org.au. Welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. I'm Luke. And I'm Kiara. And I'm Victoria. And this is our um, our first episode of our slightly changed up format mm-hmm. that we're doing, um, which means that by the time you're listening to this, I'm probably in Hobart and Victoria's probably in Albury mm-hmm. and Kiara's probably in, in Sydney. Eastern Sydney. Well, I mean, it really doesn't sound that bad when I say it's Eastern Sydney, but... Um, <laughs> It's All by myself. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to stop now before I before I make everyone's eardrums bleed. So, but why, yeah, that's why me. the new format, Luke? Why the new format? Well, we explained that at the end of the last episode. <laughs> no, we did it. No, we did. We we would have explained. This is very confusing. We're actually recording this in uh, late June, um, and so by the time you hear this, it's probably September. So we haven't actually recorded the last episode that would be preceding this one. So, my thought is that we'd probably explain it in that episode. Oh, I didn't realise we were doing it backwards. Okay. It's all very confusing. It's like Inception or something. Um, (laughs) So it is. All right. It's like... Anyway. Anyway. So, in this episode, um, I will be looking at a book and, um, and Kiara and Victoria will be contributing their own thoughts to it. But the book that I'm bringing today... Is um is something sounds like show and tell. <laughs> I'm Luke, and I'll it be is kind of show and tell, Catholic show and tell. Well, I mean, it's nice. Um, Jennifer Fulwiler's "Something Other Than God," um, and the subtitle is "How I Passionately Sought Happiness and Accidentally Found It," um, which is lovely. <laughs> um, but what I I just wanted to sort of look at a couple of things from this. From this text, it's basically just to sort of give you a very quick summary. It's a, um, as the the subtitle says, um, it's basically about how her unexpected conversion. Um, Jennifer Fulwala was an atheist, um, and very much would have said that it's not as though not as not as though she was a what we would describe as a practical atheist or, a, or an agnostic. She she would have filled out atheist on her on her census form. Yeah. Um, basically, if, if you sort of know Jennifer Fuala's story, or if you don't, probably a good way is to probably just look up her website, um, which is Conversion... Is it still Conversion Diary? What's it called now? Don't I know. think it's still called that. Let's have a look. No, it's just called... It's just jenniferfuala.com. It's changed. And I just want to look at a couple of things from this that I found quite interesting. This is, by the way, this is probably one of the best written books I've ever read. Um, and I don't mean that as a... As an exaggeration, it is a fantastic, fantastically written book. Really amazing. It's divided into very short chapters of maybe like five pages each. So this is the kind of thing that if you're if you've got like three stops until your station on the train, you can probably get this out and read it. Um, it's really good and it's incredibly engaging. Like you could probably read this in one sitting. I think. I mean, it would be a long sitting, but I think you would read it. You could theoretically read it in one sitting. Um, but a couple of things that I wanted to look at um, that I found quite interesting. The first one, which um, the page the page is open to, which is um, which is very good, um, was w- one of the there's the sort of these stages that Jennifer Fulwiler goes through um, in her conversion, and one of the final ones is with relation to contraception. Now Jennifer Fulwiler admittedly has quite an understandable reason. Um, for this, and this is because she has a um, a condition which means that um, she gets DVT. 
Um, and she has to be on... Which is, which for people who aren't familiar with the term, is called deep deep vein vein thrombosis, thrombosis, which are blood clots in your legs that can kill you. Can be fatal. Yeah, Yeah. can be fatal. Um, and so... Or give you a stroke or a heart attack. Yeah, it's very, very, very serious. Serious medical condition. Very serious. Um... Now, the difficulty is is that the medication that she would be on um, would cause defects to, to any children if she falls pregnant. And so, she's currently stuck in this, in this situation of she can either choose to um, take the medication, which would put any children that she has at very grave risk. She could not have the medication, which would make her children safe, but would put her at grave risk. Or she could use contraception and take the medication and thus prevent any children and thus be preventing um, the children from being at risk because she wouldn't be falling pregnant. Um, now, in her conversion, of course, if she's to become Catholic, um, the, the use of contraception... Um, must be treated with caution. Must be treated with, with grave caution um, in the sense that it is a, it is a grave evil. Um, in in the Catholic Church, I'm not going to use the term sinful because we don't know individual situations. We can't say that, but we can say that it's evil, um, and that a person with the right disposition would be committing a sin if they if they had used it intentionally. If, so- uh, sorry, just to clarify, if they had used it intentionally purely for its contraceptive effect. Yes, not- sorry. Yes, yes. So if a person, the Catholic if a person Church- is using, if a person is is on the pill. For a different reason. For a medical reason. For a medical for, reason. Uh, you know, yep. for, but yeah, and there, there are, there are, there are legitimate medicinal uses for hormonal contraceptive pills. Yes. But if you were taking it purely for the contraceptive effect, then that's a no-no if you're Catholic. Yeah, but there's, if there's you many, have, there's probably many articles written on this that you can find. Yeah, um, and I would probably recommend go go read Humana Vitae. Just go and read Humana pro- Vitae. It explains and all the, there. And there was, I'm sure that the uh, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith has probably written a number of articles responding to these kind of yeah these, these kinds of questions. So yeah, just to clarify. But the, I guess the the basic thing is that she does have to have this choice between yeah. either using contraception because she would be using it directly to prevent children. Yeah. Um, or is, not. Yeah. And this is one of the final issues that she has. Um, she's pretty much accepted everything else. She's even accepted the church's teaching on abortion, which she found quite difficult. Um, but contraception is one that she really can't understand. And I can, I can see why. Lots of people don't understand. I didn't understand it. It's. Um, I didn't understand it for a long time. Yeah. It's, um, you know, and most Catholic, and you know, if the statistics are, if the statistics are true, most Catholics don't understand and therefore ignore it. Most yes, of your average practicing yes, Catholic, probably, yeah, your average Catholic um, out there just ignores it. It's it's tragic, but I think that it's probably one of the primary dissenting if positions. Pe- yeah, if people um, actually in, know the position of the church, and yeah, yeah if if people that's assuming they actually know the position of the church and don't actually, you yeah. know, so yeah, it's- so so given so given this context, you can understand why Jennifer Fowler is in quite a difficult position because on the one hand, this this is this is a quite literally a matter of life or death for her, mm-hmm. um, either for herself, for any possible children that she may have, um, and also in a spiritual sense as well, that if this is sinful, if this is evil, then there's a spiritual death occurring here as well. And so she's got a lot to, to really think about here. Now, she's sort of leaning on the side of thinking, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm really not necessarily, I mean, I think that she's, she's still questioning the church quite a bit. On this, on this issue. However, there's this moment about, I think it's towards, yeah, it's towards the end of the book where she, um, she's reading Humane Vitae to try, to try and understand it. And I understand I'm probably not pronouncing that, but that's okay. Um, she's reading, she's reading Humane Vitae 
and she's looking at um at Pope Blessed Paul the um uh, what are they? The, the, his predictions of what would happen if contraception, if contraceptive mm. use yes. becomes well, a wide, pre- widespread predi- practice. Predictions probably the wrong word, but the logical consequences. Yes. Yeah, what his he warnings, sees are the consequences for the consequences of widespread use of contraception. And these these are. Can you remember them? These are the government, the use of government for uh, forced. Ah, um, uh, the use. So the, um, states will enforce. The use of contraception yep. um, for, will will enforce or mandate contraception. That's um, one, and, and subsidise it. We've seen it. that in we've seen that in China, China and to a lesser um, extent in Western countries. Uh, India as well. Okay, um, yep. huge problems there with gender ratios and all sorts of other fertility issues over there. Um, all sorts. Of, uh, there were forced sterilizations in the United States um, yep. of usually poor black. Women this is prior to Humane Vitae, though. Prior, to, but it was yeah, in the, no, no, yeah, nonetheless, the logical extension. Even after, yes. up to the okay, up, up into the into the seventies. Okay, it was okay. happening. Um, ju- male judges were ordering certain women be sterilized okay. for various reasons. Um, and there was you've got a uh, breakdown of marriage. Yes, the the, the, bra- of, the breakdown of marriage. The um, um, women would be um, would basically become objects for men to use um, and abuse for of men. Uh, and what was the fourth one? It was, um, I think it was something to do with the commodification of children. Okay, yeah. Devaluing commodification Devaluing of, children. of children. Now, all of these things, you would, if you would like, I guess, um, if one would want to be honest, have certainly come to pass since the 1960s, to a greater or lesser extent. I mean, in terms that's, of the first yeah. one, in terms of the state, we would say that that's in China, not so much in the Western world, although... In terms of well, the, the well, the uh, sta- states, subsidization states are certainly, certainly very encouraging yeah. of women to use contraception. I think there was one political commentator in Australia who was advocating for long-term contraceptives to yes, be very mandated for, for welfare women, recipients, wealth women welfare which recipients, is, which is quite frankly so problematic and eugenically wrong. I want problematic to scre- is a very good way of putting it. Yeah, it's just so um, problematic on so many levels. Yeah. It's. Uh, it was appalling. I was like, Margaret Sanger's called and wants her policy back. It's, it's um, terrible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's how bad. Yeah. This is like two years. This is like a year ago as well. None, nonetheless, she, um, there's, there's this section here where she's, where she's sort of trying to understand this and reading, um, reading it. She comes across a magazine at one point, which is talking about um, a 70-year-old woman and how she can look attractive to to men at that age and she just finds that really weird um but she's this is just on the front page of a normal magazine that you would get and she can kind of see how the logic of contraception as what blessed paul the sixth said has the objectification of women but one of the one of the other things that i found quite interesting is um she goes on she goes on a forum to try and understand the catholic church well not the catholic church's position but what she's meant to do in this situation and she finds because she google searches because what, what, what else do you do if you're a millennial person searching for religious truth? You go to Google. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah, I like that's that's what a lot of people do. Yep. And um, so I think it's she's... like the second most commonly used word type, like most commonly typed word into a Google search engine of all time is God. Yeah, yeah. Which it's really interesting. Yeah. And so she goes onto this forum and finds that there's this woman who's in exactly the same position as her, that she has DVT. She's also a practicing or wants to be a practicing Catholic and she's looking for help. Um, and she um, is basically told by these people, look, ignore the... Well-meaning Catholic- people. Well-meaning people, that you should ignore the Catholic Church. You had people there saying that, oh, that, that they were formerly Catholic and that they're glad that they're not Catholic anymore, that they're glad that they're not 
listening to the church's teaching anymore and these kinds of things. And Jennifer Foyle is a bit distraught because the woman goes away and says, oh, yes, you're probably right. She goes on to the next page and the woman comes back and says that her contraception has failed. And she's pregnant. And she's pregnant and that she's been on this medication. And what is she meant to do? And one of the people who'd advocated for her to be on contraception then proceeds to tell her that you should probably consider uh, that, that she should consider an abortion. And it's here that Jennifer Fulwala sees, okay, I see what's going on here. That the church's position on the that there's no we, we can see that that there's like we talk about slippery slopes and allegedly that's a fallacy, it's not really. Um, but and these kinds of things. But you can see that in order to accommodate for one evil a whole lot of other evils have to suddenly come in when that first evil doesn't turn out in the consequentially good way that the consequentialism says that it will. Um, and that's something that I found I found quite interesting coming from this book, not just in terms of that, but the, the, the church's wisdom, I guess, that the church's wisdom is that if we, if we take situations and we sort of cut them down into, into small... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Instances. We can kind of think that, say, in if we just had the facts of the case in abstraction of Jennifer Fulwala's case, a lot of people would probably say, oh, yes, of course it's fine for her to use contraception. There's nothing There's nothing wrong with that because, I mean, obviously a Catholic wouldn't, but in terms of the, the yeah. world, the secular yeah. world's thinking... Um, that, that, of course, it's fine. Why would you not? I mean, this is a matter... This is a, this is a very grave health matter. And yet, you can see that... Life isn't a nice little cordoned-off box and of specific and instances. And the only foolproof contraception is abstinence. Is abstinence. It's not. It, yeah. Yeah. You know, exactly. Sex leads to babies, no matter how chemical. You know how. And that's exactly No matter right. what you use to try and thwart it. And it's not. It's not. It's not just that in terms of the the Catholic Church's teaching. It's not just in terms of contraception. Contraception is quite an obvious one, I think, and it affects a lot of people. Um, but in the terms of the Church's teaching on a lot of other moral issues, mm. the Church acknowledges that. You cannot isolate things into specific instances, but your actions influence the way you think. Your actions influence the way you start treating other people, and your actions influence your beliefs. Mm. Your actions create situations. Your actions create cultures. And I mean, we were just talking about this before before we went on the air, but we were sort of talking about how, and I mean, I could just be ignorant 20-something-year-old here, but it was a lot easier, I think, in the 1960s to make an argument for contraception than it is now. Yeah. Because back in the 1960s, you could be a little bit ignorant and say, oh, look, well, I mean, if married couples are simply using this for to their manage- own, yep. to, to manage their own fertility because they don't want to have too many children, well, then what's the harm that's going to happen? Yet, as us who've grown up in the 1990s and 2000s, <laughs> um, <laughs> but we all grew up at some point in the yeah. 1990s. As us who grew up in the 1990s and 2000s, <clears throat> Um, us millennials. Us millennials. I, I feel a bit weird because I don't want to sort of be like, oh, we know so much better because we don't. But I'm just saying that like sort of the personal experience is that it's a lot harder to be able to make that claim when you see the social ills around us, especially Not with only that, to we're sexuality. becoming much more aware of the conse- the um, health consequences mm, for mm. hormonal contraceptive use. It's not without, it's not, uh, without side effects. There's only probably one medication out there in the world that doesn't have any significant side effects and that's paracetamol yeah everything yeah. else is a question of weighing up the mm. weighing up the pros and cons of side effect you know of side mm. effects mm. and um and the pill is without exception has does have um has a range of side effects and it can be quite severe um same also goes for medium term um hormonal 
contraceptives as well. And um, basically, there's a, there's co- consequences for individual women. There's also wider environmental consequences for the consumption of hormones that don't get taken out of the water si- uh, sewage treatment system mm. and end up in the natural environment. Mm. Um, there's yeah. So l- like I said, there's in- there's increasing evidence coming to bear that this isn't a magic pill, and you know. This isn't a magic pill, and you know what? It doesn't actually prevent pregnancy all that well. No, well, um, it does. You know, it doesn't. It, it you know, it's. I mean, I think uh, you know, there's a statistic out there that suggests that 50 percent of women who go and have an abortion were using contraception at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, so, and I think I think that speaks, as I was saying, I I think that speaks to a wider a wider kind of thing that that the church does is wise on this. Uh, not on this, not only on this issue, but on a lot of issues as well. And I think that something sort of that I think guess is recently I've sort of been thinking about is that we do require, I think, and this is something that I guess I probably fail at, um, and that is this, this level of humility that says that I don't understand why the church teaches this. I mean, I do understand why the church teaches this, but certain other things perhaps, I can't think of any right now, but like that there's a requirement of humility. And that was what Jennifer Fuller was able to have. This certain level of humility to be able to say, okay, what the church teaches is really hard, but then also having the surrender and I guess asking for the grace to be able to live that out. Because... She's had children since then, mm. since since then, and I think later on in the book she does get deep vein thrombosis, um, and so this does cause a lot of problems for her. But she's able to trust in God, and I think that that's something that's perhaps that's perhaps missing from when we try to say, look, what the church teaches, it just doesn't, it just doesn't, it so goes against the grain of of our society. It seems so hard. How can we possibly do this? We're called, I think, to have a certain level of surrender and humility. And, I mean, that's a huge, huge challenge. And mm. it's one that Jennifer Fulwiler, I think, has has done really well uh, in, in her search, especially as someone who's just coming into the church. Um, something else that I wanted to, that I wanted to speak about was um, in, with reference to, to the communion of saints um, and, and purgatory. There's, there's this chapter in here, and it is, it is a really interesting chapter. She's listening to, um, and you, Chiara, I think you, you, might have a, you might have an interesting reaction to this because it's going to be really unexpected. She's listening to, <laughs> to Changes by Tupac. And, um, As you do. <laughs> and, um, she's listening, yeah, she's listening to Changes by Tupac. And um, I think she was quite a Tupac fan. And I mean, she could still be. I don't know. Um, and she had, I think in her RCIA perhaps or something, she'd just been, list- she'd just been hearing about purgatory and about the importance of praying for, 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 for the dead. And of course, Tupac died. Um, died, in, I believe, in a, in a shooting. Um, he was murdered uh, in the in the nineties, I think. And so, um, I'm, obviously, I'm not into American hip hop music, so you can tell that I don't sort of. I'm very vague on this. But um, in this, like, she's listening to this. She's listening to to this song, and she talks about how he lived this quite. He, he's lived a quite tragic life, and yet. He he's done. He he did some bad things. I think he served jail time. I think for perhaps organising murder or something like that, conspiracy to murder. I think, and I'm I'm not 100 percent sure. But he um she talks about how um after he was released he went to his lawyers, 
and basically thanked them for really like, not not for like trying to get him off or anything like that, but because they really stuck by him, even when he was in prison, they would come to visit him and that kind of thing. Oh, I they see where, it, where she's going here. That's beautiful to see the re- relationship between. I don't think that was what she was going at, but that's, oh, a, really okay. good, that's a really good connection. What, what oh. she was talking about, maybe she did, and I've just forgotten about it, but what she, she at, at the end there, she says something along the lines of um, that, that when she finished listening to the song, she she prayed for Tupac's soul and that that's the most profound prayer she's ever prayed in her life. And it's really interesting because I think sometimes I've got a got a friend who um who used to pray and perhaps still does pray for um she used to be into a lot of like um she used to be into Nirvana and and the Doors. And so she would she would pray when she first came into the church and I mean she perhaps still does pray for them. Pray for um for Jim Morrison and um and Kurt Cobain. And I think it's really interesting because it's something that we don't, that we sort of think about, we pray for our family and our friends, but we don't think about that as Catholics. I mean, we're called to pray. Of course, in in the liturgy, we, we do pray for everyone. We pray for all souls. I know of an order of nuns, uh, not personally, but friends told me about them, that um, on top of praying for, you know, their family, their friends, the people in their community and the world at large, they choose one celebrity from their hometown to pray for. Wow. I definitely know that one of the sisters is praying for Britney Spears. Yep. And uh, so on and so forth. So. Wow, that's really cool. And Aww. I mean, we should all be doing something it's like really, that. It's really beautiful. And actually, I encourage that practice is perhaps if you've got, you know, like on the news, there's always... Our, our world is so filled with negativity towards celebrities. Like, they're just these people that we stick up there and we make fun of and then once... And we're waiting for them to crash down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think we've, there's, we've seen we've seen many examples of that, and I think it's it would it's a very good counter to that to if they're still alive to pray to pray for their salvation, but if they've passed away, and especially if they passed away in tragic circumstances, to to pray for their soul um, because they may be in purgatory, and I mean. All That's a true m- fan. Well, I mean, all they all they may have is people going, oh, that like people saying, people reminiscing on their on on a tragic life, but not praying for them. And what they probably want most is our prayers. Mm. So I mean, I think it's perhaps just taking one person, and if you pray a rosary or, or if you, when you're going to mass or something like that, maybe have them as an intention. I think it's an interesting practice, but something to take from from there. Mm. Um, I'm just trying to think about what the third thing that I want to talk about would be. I guess this is something perhaps, Kiara, you could talk about because when, when we we're discussing this, you're saying that you have a lot of experience with this in terms of that. Um, um, look, my I've got a bit of a reversion story with yeah. my life. And I really, you know, so for Jennifer Fullweiler, a lot of the questions that she asked early on, because she was sort of raised by, she was raised as an, raised as an atheist and raised non-religious. I wasn't. I was raised Catholic and my teenage rebellion was to become an atheist. Um... And so I, but the questions that she asked were very fun, were questions that I was also, that I was also faced with as well, with the reality of, um, you know, my family's a very um, intellectual family. We're all, I've, you know, got, um, so they wouldn't let a challenge, an intellectual challenge slip by. And, um, you know, but, you know, I was rebelling, so family, whatever. Um, So my, Reversion started when an agnostic religion teacher at my private girls high school, uh, all girls high school, which I then subsequently left about six months later. um, He challenged me to uh, say, listen, don't turn your back on something unless you can argue for it so well that your own mother wouldn't know the difference. And so I'm like, right, 
okay, challenge accepted. I'll bet you I can find enough fault in every single religion to, you know, prove my point. I would, and so, like, well, I'll better start with Catholicism since, you know, that's going to be helpful for arguing with my family because, you know, what 15-year-old doesn't want to stir the pot. And so I found that actually all the questions that I had were kind of stupid and had been asked about a million times before by other much smarter people <laughs> than I, and they had all answered them. Um, and, it, 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 you know, again and again and again, I can't, and, you know, and I did investigate other religions as well, but I didn't find anything so compelling as... Catholicism. So, long story sh- long story short, um, although I was seriously tempted by Orthodox Judaism, seriously tempted. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. 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 Uh, hey, have you heard, you heard of the Feast of Simcha Torah? It's awesome. Yeah. I, my family would have been okay if I converted to Orthodox Judaism because it's halfway there, um, as far as they're concerned. And um, so I yeah, and so I came back to I came back home, and I didn't really end up sort of getting into you know. As, uh, you know, intellectually, I came home, and then it took another little while longer to come the rest of the way home. So, in many senses, in many sen- in you know, so I actually quite relate to Jennifer's story because I've asked all, I've asked the same questions. She's question, she's asked, and eventually, I, you know, for the the turning point for me was staring down the barrel of athe- you know atheistic nihilism and asking, is this is this all there is? And the answer was, and the answer, and the answer I came, I came to the conclusion was no. There, there can't, mm. This can't be all there is, and so that's where I came from there. And yeah, Jennifer Fawala does have a similar experience with, yeah. um, you know. And quite frankly, I, you know, I was also reading other, you know, a lot of the more like the new athe. I was reading. This is the type, the early days of the new atheists, and so I was, I was an early f- a follower of. Richard Dawkins, and I also knew Christopher Hitchens stuff. Sam Harris hadn't quite hit the scene yet. Um, so I was familiar with the, uh, and Lawrence Krauss certainly wasn't there either. That he's um, interesting, and so he, so I was reading their stuff. I was reading their stuff, and but then I went back and read the nihilists like Camus and Sartre, and I just came to the conclusion that new atheists are the new, you know, the new atheists are you know kind of pansies mm. in a way compared to some of the old school atheists yeah, because yeah. the old school atheists weren't <laughs> they weren't afraid to take their beliefs to their logical conclusion. Ed, Ed, Edward Fazer at the time of this recording is doing a series on on the old atheists and the new he's a um, a Catholic philosopher um, is doing a series on the old atheists and the new athe- yeah. atheists and he's looking at uh, Nietzsche at the moment and exactly that kind of like staring staring into the conclusions of their own arguments. And, and saying, saying, okay, I have to accept. Well, they they believe that they have to accept that. She's 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 not a nihil like at the at the start of the film, the, the book. film, the book. <laughs> um, at the start of the book, um, she's not. But she does have a certain sense of of, of nihilism that she kind of papers over. Um, in her childhood, she has this experience. And she has this, this existential crisis. She has an existential crisis that really she kind of just pushes to the back of her mind. For for a, for a long time, um, and this of course in the in the birth of her child, she can't ignore this existential crisis. But this the the book will um the book will go into that if if you read it, which I highly highly recommend. I didn't get paid to say that. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> if Although people, if anyone's if people, offering, if anyone's willing to give us some money, I mean we're not gonna we're gonna have to tell everyone that you gave us money because that would be um that would be bad. I can't remember. I don't know. Something we'd have to ring a bell or something. Wasn't that thing thing that 
What? John, John Laws had to ring a cowbell every time, like they mentioned. Anyway, that's an old, that's an old joke. Um, <laughs> okay. There was this issue with Talkback Radio concerning like when Telstra was paying someone to or something. Oh. Might not have been Telstra, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> all that aside, if anyone's willing to give us money, um, we'd be happy to take it. But we're not going to, you know, this is not cash for. This is this is give Cradio a donation. Give Cradio by the a way. donation, not cash for what was cash for. Cash for likes. Comment. Cash for likes. <laughs> Cash, Cash for, for likes. likes. Yeah, not, this is not Instagram. Okay. Um, so yeah, um, I think that's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, pretty good coverage. That worked quite well, I think. You, uh, Victoria, have you said a single thing in no. this episode? No. Okay. <laughs> that's okay um, because when I bring a book, you guys will not have two words in. Okay. Because okay. I tend okay. to go a bit All crazy right. when. So. Uh, that's good. Bring That's good. Bring the book in. In fact, you should have like two episodes in a row, considering no, Kiara and I. No. But um, nonetheless. I do want uh, to borrow this book, though, so I'm going to take yeah, this with me on the train. Yeah, take that with you. Um, You'll and finish it on the train. I'm a slow reader. I'll right. get through half of one of those five-page chapters on, like, a one-hour train ride. Because <laughs> you read a sentence, then you look off into the distance, and you have to think about it. <laughs> then you look at the person sitting you opposite the you. You are the epitome of, like, an 18th century <laughs> reader who it was a grave <laughs> insult to rush through a book. No, it was the height of social, like, you know... <laughs> bad etiquette to say, oh, I finished a book in a day. Um, yeah, but like, then I finished like, the you're looking at the- it. So, so if you're... When, but when you're done looking out the window, then like your eye might chance across to the person like sitting across you and you're like, man, they have their own life. What's their <laughs> life? And then you forget that you're reading a book about someone else's life. This is, this is, the, this is the life of a... Um, of a what, what are you Literary again? A, me- a melancholic uh, phlegmatic or phlegmatic melancholic. Yeah, the yeah. latter. Phlegmatic melancholy. <laughs> um, I don't even know what temperament I am. I'd hate to think what you that, no, are. Not sure. Choleric. Oh, <laughs> um, good, great. <laughs> and possibly melancholic. I'm not sure. No. Definitely um, choleric. Definitely, definitely. It's not choleric. a bad thing. It's, it's no, it's not I, a bad I, thing. I, the, the, we need was, choleric people in the world. Okay, I get stuff um, done. Exactly, Otherwise, we're looking exactly. out windows and looking at people. Exactly. <laughs> no one would read any books. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There'd be no deadlines. <laughs> I hate we'd deadlines. Just be, it would just be oh, a world of people. Oh, that sounds like people. a great world. <laughs> it's <laughs> a great world. No due date. <laughs> <by> essays. <laughs> No, can you worry. can you can you just imagine? I'm just I'm just imagining like an entire nation of phlegmatics. Like, <laughs> yeah, it would just be really funny. It would just be really skipping funny. through like, fields of daisies. How are you? Great. <laughs> anyway. Hey, we. Hey, who's getting dinner tonight? Don't worry about it when it gets to it. <laughs> But but crops. <laughs> it would be it would be extraordinarily funny and probably a lot better. But anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, I say that as someone who's also. So what are we doing next time? What are we? I don't know. We we uh, we are next time. I believe you are going to be you're going to be sharing with us um, Mark Twain's Joan of Arc. I'm so excited. It's, it looks amazing. It, it just yeah. from the little that Kiara's told us, it just sounds fantastic. It looks amazing. I didn't yeah. even realize that Mark Twain wrote. A book on St. Joan of Arc. Oh, yes, he did. Forget Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer. This is his best work. Mm. That's something. Um, yeah. 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 So, I, I know they're class. I know they're classics of American literature, but this is his actual best work on an objective, on an objective matter. And right. he himself, this is his favorite. This is his favorite piece of work. He says on the front, "I like Joan of Arc best of all my books, and it is the best." Um, I know it perfectly well, and besides, it furnished me seven times the pleasure afforded to me of any of the others. Twelve years of preparation and two years of writing. The others needed no preparation and got none. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. This is why you need to find this, track down this book and read it for yourself. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right. So next time we'll be reading Joan of Arc by Mark Twain. Thanks to Kiara. Mm. And I'll see you um, brush up on my French pronunciation. Here we go. All right. That's all right. We won't know the difference. Oh. Okay, stop, Victoria. Stop. All right, all right, all right. Luke won't know the difference. Victoria will. Bye. Bye. That was an episode of Catholics Read from cradio.org.au.